0: Biblical confidence is not about our track record in human history. Biblical confidence is not necessarily lodged to the successes that we've had. Biblical confidence has to do with God's intervention in our lives. The vertical, how God has done things in our lives.
1: Welcome to Living a Legacy, featuring the Bible teaching ministry of Crawford Lawrence. Crawford is leading us through a series titled Rock Solid Confidence. And today we'll hear the first part of his message, Confidence, A Done Deal, based on Romans chapter 8. We're learning that having confidence in God means that we take time to look back at all the ways he has sustained us. He's always met our needs, maybe not in the way we were expecting, but his big picture view means he sees what's coming and knows what's best. Stay with us. Crawford has been teaching and sharing the Word of God for over 50 years He has served as a pastor, conference speaker, and seminary professor. His books include Leadership as an Identity, Unshaken, and Your Marriage Today and Tomorrow. Crawford now serves as founder and director of a Christian leadership mentoring program called Beyond Our Generation. Well, last week we learned that confidence in Jesus is a choice. Crawford listed five decisions we must make, and today some questions to answer. Let's take a look at them. Again, our text, Romans chapter 8. Here's Crawford Loritz on Living a Legacy.
0: And just to underscore something, I've been saying this every week here, that when when the Bible talks about confidence, it's not exactly the same thing that we talk about when we talk about confidence. Typically, we lodge confidence with self-esteem which is okay. I mean, that's fine. In other words, we try to raise our kids and give them a catalog of the successful experiences so that when they're in in adverse circumstances, they can look back on their track record, see the successful experiences that they've had, and that will build their confidence to keep them moving. But that's not what the Bible means when it talks about confidence. Biblical confidence is not about our track record in human history. Biblical confidence is not necessarily lodged to the successes that we've had. Biblical confidence has to do with God's uh, intervention in our lives. It has to do with a vertical, how God has done things in our lives. It's not a statement about our competencies. It's not a statement about what we've accomplished, although that's not necessarily wrong. But it's a statement about what God has done. And so in the first message when I went to the, the uh, Romans chapter 4 and talked about the faith of Abraham, I defined confidence, biblical confidence, as an enduring faith. An enduring faith. And not looking back and being comfortable in my track record, but remembering what God has done in and through our lives. You see, this gives all of us hope. So, you don't get down on yourself because you've had a string of things that don't look like they're very successful. Now, confidence has nothing to do with your pedigree, has nothing to do with your background, has nothing to do with your position on your organizational chart, has nothing to do with where you live, has nothing to do with what you drive, has nothing to do with your degrees, has nothing to do with that. It has everything to do with the faithfulness of God. And I really want us to get that. I want us to get that. It is a, it is a God-centered, Godward reality. And that's what biblical confidence is all about. Well, this message, I've entitled it uh, Confidence: A Done Deal. A Done Deal. Now, if you've been around sports, you may have heard this statement. They don't use it too much anymore. They used to use this statement. How many of you have ever heard the expression, Oh, it's a walkover? Walkover. It it, it means like there's no competition, it means it's a done deal. Uh, Shoe-in. it, it, it means it means that you know they're either disqualified or they're woefully inadequate. Your competition, and you just might as well write it down as a W. It's 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 a shoe in. It's used in uh, athletics. It's also been used in political campaigns. You know, I did a little research and figured that there were two presidential elections uh, where the presidents were elected unopposed. The first one doesn't surprise you was George Washington in uh, 1789 and. And uh, 1792, he ran uncontested for president. Well, kind of understand that, I guess. The guy's saying, "Yo, dude, you're going to run against George? I ain't running against George. <laughs> hey, it's yours, baby. It's academic." And the next one was 1820, James Monroe. He also ran unopposed. Oh, what, what are you trying to say? What I'm trying to say is that they had too much going for them. Now you need to hear that. They had too much going for them. In Romans chapter 8, this incredible text of scripture, the Apostle Paul, I am convinced, is celebrating in a compressed way everything he has said in the previous seven and a half chapters of the book of Romans. It is compressed. And it's, 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 like, it's like a great symphony that ends with a grand crescendo where it summarizes the themes of the piece of music and it comes together. And you just want to stand to your feet. And that's what he does here in Romans chapter 8, beginning at verse 31 to the end. And let me read this to you. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Now, one of the dangers in doing a message like this is that you can sound terribly superficial. You get a little cute title, Confidence, a done deal, and you can sound very locker roomish and very motivational and this kind of thing. And so, at the very outset, I want to make a statement that I I want you to let sink in. Everything in us will want to disbelieve it because we empower the circumstances that we're currently in. The statement that I want to make is that our victory is secure. Our victory is secure. It is a walkover that is rooted in reality. Now, in this text, there are seven questions. Seven questions, all right? Um, And I'm going to suggest to you that I'm going somewhere. This is not an English grammar deal, but in order to really see the flow of the passage, there are seven questions here there are only three dominant questions and the four other questions are grammatically subordinate questions, or put it this way. There are three dominant rhetorical questions. A rhetorical question is when the answer is obvious. When the answer is obvious. And there's one transitional question. I promise you this is gonna be helpful. There's one transitional question that Paul raises at the very beginning of verse 31, most scholars, and I agree with this, represents the summary of the book of Romans to that point, simply because of the content of the celebration at the end of that paragraph. Now, let me give you the three big dominant rhetorical questions here. The first question in verse 31, is if God is for us, who can be against us? That is the security question. In other words, do I really have what I need? The second dominant question is found in verse 33. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Uh, That's the legal question. In other words, it it means, I I could ask, am I guilty? am I guilty? The the third dominant question is is found in verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? That's the relationship question. In other words, uh, will I be abandoned? The security question, uh, do I have what I need? The, The legal question, am I guilty? The relational question, will I be abandoned? Will I be abandoned? Now, let's pick it up here in verse 31 paul raises the question what then shall we say to these things that transitional question is also rhetorical it is is meant it is meant to be emotional it is meant to be emotional it is meant it is meant to for, for us to feel like we're standing there with our mouths it's sort of like extreme makeover home edition when the, when the, when the buses are removed and all of that and, and you, you, you take your hands off the eyes and they don't know what to say. And so Paul said, what are we going to say to these things? Uh, let me help you. This, he's summarizing. I believe in that line. He's reaching back to everything that he said in the book of Romans to this point. In the first three chapters, Romans chapters 1, 2, and 3, at least the first half of chapter 3, he underscores that the, everybody is condemned before God. No one has the right to brag about any, any, any sense of self-righteousness. That every last one of us deserve hell. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The latter part of chapter 3 sweeping across chapter 4 and coming to a climax in chapter 5. It is glorious. He draws a stark contrast that when we were low and lost and lonely. All by ourselves. Addicted to our sin and our selfish nature. On our way to a Christless eternity. God sent his son to die on the cross for us. And he sings in chapter 5 verse 1. Therefore being declared righteous by faith. We have peace with God. And then in chapter 6, 7, and 8, at least the first half of chapter 8, he raises the thorny question of sin in the Christian life. He says in chapter 6, verse 1, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? He said, God forbid. God forbid. And I want to come back to this. By the way, by the way, by the way, be careful of people who preach grace as permission. Grace never is permission to sin. And so he says believers should never sin. In chapter 7, he raises, I got a problem here. The things that I know that I should do, I, sh- I don't do. And the things that I know that I shouldn't do, I end up doing. And the context there, he's not talking about unbelievers. He's talking about believers, that there's this warfare and struggle that goes on. How do I resolve that? And then he creates the tension. He relieves it in chapter 8. He says, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk by the flesh but by the Spirit. He says the Holy Spirit gives us the the ability to conquer and overcome sin. And then he comes to verse 31. Actually, a lot of part of chapter 8, he also talks about, well, what do you do with crisis in your life and issues in your life? And and he explains the the whole idea that we're being conformed to the image of his Son. And now he comes to verse 31. He says, What shall we say to these things? Oh my goodness. Our problem is, is that we know too much Bible. And with overexposure comes spiritual insensitivity. That no longer moves some of us. That statement I just made, it no longer moves us. We've taught it and read it. What shall we say? these things and now he comes to the three questions the first question is the security question he says second part of verse 31 what shall we say to these things if God is for us who can be against us or to make it a statement which is meant to be made it's rhetorical since God is for us no one can be against us that's what he's saying here. We, we have everything, every single thing that we need. Not necessarily that we want, And this defies our circumstances. And please, please, I want to beg of you. Can you take your eyes? Some of you here are struggling and you're hurting, and it's hard for you to hear what I have to say today. I have been praying since early this morning that God will give you the ability to take your eyes off of where you are right now and hear with fresh ears and see with clear eyes. Fresh ears and clear eyes what God is saying. This is remarkable. God himself shouts, and he says that if God is for us, for us, God is for us. The self-existent, sovereign creator is for us. Self-existent, meaning he needs no support. He needs no encouragement. He needs no resources. He needs not for somebody to come and replenish what he has given out. He is self-existent, sovereign meaning that nothing in your life or my life surprises him. He knows what I did, why I did it. Who I did it to, what's going to happen, how that's going to feed into his grand scheme, how he's going to turn evil into good, how he's going to hit a straight lick with a crooked stick, how he's going to pull all this stuff out. God is for us. And you've got to believe that today. you got to believe that In your inner soul, not just intellectually, that no matter what you have done, no matter what has happened in your life, no matter where you are, no matter what rut you're stuck in, God is for you. God is for you. And our problems with spiritual advance is not that God doesn't want us to advance, it's simply that we keep empowering our circumstances and allowing them to hold us back. God didn't say that he was against you. You said that God is against you because what you wanted, he didn't do. But God is for you. And that is buttressed by reasoning. What do you mean by that? Well, look at, look at verse 32. Listen to how he reasons this. He says, listen, listen, pay attention. I wrote this letter, and by the way, there weren't chapter divisions in the letter. This was like one letter. He said, I I told you early on this letter how Jesus stepped into our existence and what he did on the cross and how he died for us and and all this. He said, well, let me me just summarize what I just said. God is for us. He's, He's proven his commitment. Verse 32 says, he who did not spare... His own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? What what, what he's saying here is this. You, You honestly believe that I don't care about what you're going through? Do you know what I did for you? Do you get that? Do you honestly get what I did? He uses a word, God who spared not. That word spared, it could have been translated, I almost wish they would use the the other, it could have been translated, uh, did not withhold. It is the idea of something that is of extraordinary value. God who did not withhold his son. The parallel in the Old Testament is Genesis 22 verse 12 when, when, when Abraham's offering up his son Isaac. And the knife is being raised and God says stop. For now I know you have not spared, or the the, the Greek Septuagint says, you have not withheld your only son. Crawford, no matter what has happened to you, you honestly believe that I'm not for you? Do do you honestly believe? (laughs) You honestly believe that I won't give you what you need? In other words, if I didn't hold back my son, why should I nickel and dime you to death now? Isn't that proof enough that I want to give you everything that you need? Yo, it's kind of like you go to this jeweler and you see this extraordinarily huge rock. I mean, this big cataract-giving diamond. You know what I'm saying? Burn your irises. I mean, it is amazing. And the jeweler gives it to you. It would be like him giving you that extraordinary diamond and then refusing you to give it a case to take it home in. That's what the verse says. God who spared not his own son. He's going to graciously give you what you need. Now, I didn't say he's going to take you out of the heat. I didn't say he's going to take you out of the adversity. I didn't say that. This verse does not teach that. This verse teaches what I said a few weeks ago when Paul says I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The context of that verse was whether I am in bad circumstances or good circumstances, I am being resourced by Jesus. And he's giving you What you need. Uh, That's the security question. If God is for us, who can be against us? Will I have what I need? You kidding me? You get more than you need. The second question is the legal question. Uh, Verse 33 says... Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Now, the legal question is the question, am I guilty? And the answer to that, if you're not a part of God's family, yes. Yes. You're guilty. So is I. So is everybody in here. The answer to the question is, now, we're part of the elect. Now, I'm going to explain elect. I'm not going to get into it too far, you know, because I, I, we can get off into the ditch on this one. I'm only going to say enough to make you frustrated at me and God. and that, That's okay. Um, the word elect, translated elect, is a Greek word that simply means chosen ones. Are you saying that God chooses people? Uh-huh. Absolutely. The Bible teaches that. Well, are you saying that God chooses people to go to hell? No, you just said that. The Bible didn't say that. Well, what about faith? Isn't faith all I need to know Christ? Absolutely. Well, wait a minute. Didn't you say God chose me? Yes. Well, how do you reconcile the two? Here's where a problem is. You don't. You accept it. And the point of the passage here is not... Paul's not trying to drive into the whole doctrine of election. He does that earlier on in the passage and he does that elsewhere. I think that the the tenor of the text here is that he wants us to understand that we're part of God's family. And it's like the, the idea is, do you think, do you think that God who is for us is going to let anybody bring a charge against what belongs to Him? That's the point. No, 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 that's not going to happen.
1: Crawford LaRitz, our speaker here on Living a Legacy, with the first half of the message, Confidence, a Done Deal. We are looking at seven questions to consider from Romans chapter 8. The first two questions are, if God is for us, who can be against us? And who shall bring any charge against God's elect? We'll get to the remaining five questions next week. This is all part of Crawford's series, Rock Solid Confidence, and the series will conclude next week. If you missed out on some of today's broadcast or any of the messages in the series, catch them all on our website, livingalegacy.org, livingalegacy.org. Look for the link, Past Programs. Living a Legacy can also be found on many podcast sites. If today's message was helpful, take just a few moments to let us know. We are encouraged when we know God is using the broadcast in your life. Simply write to legacyatmoody.edu, legacyatmoody.edu, and be sure to tell us how you listen to the program on radio or online. I'm Bill Davis. Thanks for being with us today. This program is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.